Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans 3. We're going to be looking at Romans 3, 20 through 24 this morning. We have a special treat this morning. And I say this because we get the amazing privilege of looking at the amazing grace of God. And that word is very much overused today. And so you hear a lot about grace, this, grace, that, grace, 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 grace. And like everything that becomes overused, it often gets lost on us. And we just say it when sometimes we don't even actually know what we mean. But this morning, my prayer is that when we're done, we will know what grace is and it will awaken us and stir us and cause us to love God a whole lot more. So let us pray and ask God's blessing on his word in our time this morning. Heavenly Father, you are the God of all grace. And we are before you this morning as your people. You are here in our midst by the Spirit. And we are weak and we are frail and we are needy. And Lord, you make it obvious to us so often that we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. So here we are this morning looking to you, our God. Help in every way to help us to see you, to know you, to understand you. Oh Lord, have mercy. Work through these words and aliven us to your amazing grace, for we ask it in Christ. Amen. Romans three twenty through 24 reads, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace, as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now that has got to be one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture. Because as we're going to see, this here reveals the incredible and the amazing grace of God. So if you're sitting here this morning and you at all understand who you are before God, this is some really good news. But if you're sitting here this morning and you actually don't see yourself as that much of a sinner, these words just go bing, 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 huh? Grace, grace, grace. I hear grace, but I don't get what you're all excited about. Hopefully this morning we can see that this is, a, this is truly amazing. 
Because the first thing I want us to see as we look at this passage is that grace has nothing, nothing to do with law-keeping. In fact, it's the opposite. In our text in verse 20, it says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now clearly, I hope you noticed, grace was not mentioned in those few verses there at all. And this is because what he's doing is he's setting it up for grace to be revealed. He's showing how this is actually diametrically opposed to grace, and he is showing the place of the law in person's life. Here we see the true condition of all humanity. What does it say there? What does it say in our text? It says that not a single human being, not a single one, on this planet, will be justified in God's sight by their law-keeping. There is not a person, not one, who will be declared by God just, righteous, because of their law-keeping. This is what the text says, not one human. In fact, the only thing that's going to come to a human through the law, this is what's going to come. The knowledge of your sin. As Paul said in Romans 7, when the law said, you shall not covet, sin produced in me, the sin that's in me, produced in me every covetous desire. Isn't that how it works? We're told not to do it. And next thing you know, for some reason now, I really want to do it. You know, you make some dietary plan. I'm not going to eat till, till one. Oh no, I did well. It, it didn't bother me. But now that I make this plan and I have this standard, next thing you know, now I'm hungry as soon as I wake up because it's in my head. The law says that we're not to covet anything. The law specifically says you shall not covet your neighbor's stuff. You shall not covet what your neighbor has. But what do we find? What do you find in your own heart? You find yourself coveting all over the place. Because when my neighbor has something really appealing, has your neighbor ever had something appealing that's really nice? Something you're very interested in? House? Car? says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Maybe your neighbor has a tremendously beautiful wife, tremendously beautiful boat, tremendously beautiful stuff all over his yard. Our eyes see these things. And often what we see, if someone has something really appealing that we don't have, don't you hate it when you see in your heart desiring these things, wanting coveting. The law says you shall not covet. And what do I find? I find covetousness in my heart. You know, I can even hate myself for this. I can make all kinds of plans and say, I'm going to buffet my body and I'm going to do all kinds of things and all kinds of strategies. Maybe I'll go and I'll remove myself from all neighbors because then I won't see their stuff. 
but you haven't changed your heart. Covetousness is in your heart. What the law helps you do is helps you see that your heart is covetous. And that's just one commandment. The law also says that you shall not murder. Well, and thankfully I can say that I have not broken that one. Well, no, I can't. (laughs) Because Jesus said that if you hated someone, hated your brother in your heart, you've committed murder in your heart. And the only reason you haven't done it is because you don't, you don't like the consequences. What restrains you often is our consequences. But if, but it doesn't prevent you from saying in your heart, oh, I wish they were dead. And someone says, oh, how dare you, Dean? Well, come on, give me a break. Have you ever hated anybody ever in your life, ever? If, you, if you've had hate in your heart towards somebody, Jesus says, you're guilty. You know why? Because God judges the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. And the law is there not for you to say, not for you to look at it and go, sure, glad I didn't break that one. No, he's saying, hello, he says, this is there to reveal the sin in you. I know your heart. And I'm going to say you shall not murder for one reason, because there's murder in your heart. Even though you didn't actually do it. You know, it's very common for us to justify ourselves. It's very, you know, Unique to humanity, I think, in so many ways. Because whenever there's a standard and a standard is brought up against us, you know what our desire is? Our desire is to meet that standard. And when we fall short of that standard and we don't meet it, what do we do so often? We justify ourselves for why we didn't meet it. We have every excuse in the book, don't we? Excuses are simple. They're easy. We can always find a reason for what we, for what we did. Mass murderers will tell you that they're earth cleansing. They're doing good. They're getting rid of people that need to be gotten rid of. So what I'm doing is actually righteous and just. This is the right thing. And I've, I've read reports from uh, mass murderers before and they truly do tell themselves this lie. They really think that in what they're doing, there's a, there's a just and right cause for it. The law is not there to say, well done. The law was there so that you might become knowledgeable of your sin. It says guilty. Just think of, there's another one. You shall not commit adultery. Glad I didn't do that one. Well, We're tempted to pat ourselves on the back when we go through the law. We say, whoa, man, I'm glad I could check that one off. You know, Jesus was always keen at, at making us very aware that, hello, stop, not so quick. If you've ever lusted after a woman in your heart, he says, you've committed adultery. Because once again, it's a matter and issue of the heart. If you're doing it in your heart, often what constrains you are circumstances and consequences. You know, we could do this. We could walk through every single one of the commandments. Just as easily, we know for a matter of fact, the very first one, you shall have no other gods before me. Which means you shall not trust, 
serve or obey anyone or anything above me. So you put your trust in, you put your confidence in, yet just take this one thing, money. We put trust and confidence in that, and when we have it, we feel secure. You take it away, and what do we have? Insecurity, fear, we're terrified. Oh, oh, oh God, oh God, have you abandoned me? Oh God, are you, are you hating me? Are you destroying me? We just get completely undone often. And what does that expose in us? We are so quickly tempted to make gods of things and stuff. You know what we need? We need to come to the place where we can honestly stand in front of a mirror. Look at that person that you see in the mirror. Look at that person. And then what do you think of that person? Do you see a righteous person who's just, who keeps God's law? Or do you see a person think, no, I understand me. I know myself. I know who I am. I am a idolater. I am a murderer. I am a covetous adulterer. Are those is that easy to say? No. That is not easy to say because our tendency is to justify ourselves. Our tendency is to look at standards and either either meet them or find out good, really good reasons for why we didn't. It's not to not to look at the standard and go, "Woe is me! I I am undone because I am a lawbreaker." You know, and when you ever feeling guilty is not something we enjoy. Guilt and shame. Have you ever felt guilt and shame? Have you ever stolen something and got caught? Have you ever lied and got caught? If you did, you'll have an experience of guilt and shame. And when you do, what's that like? It's not too good, is it? It, it feels horrible. We don't like to ever get ourselves in a situation where we feel guilt or shame at all. And in that situation, we quickly, we quickly want to be cleansed from it. We quickly want to be justified. And if we could somehow justify it, then all of a sudden it makes it better. And that's our tendency as well, to justify ourselves, even though the real confession, the honest confession is this, Oh Lord, my God, you know me better than I know myself. And this person is sinful. I break your commandments. I know what I ought to be and I am not. You know, our text says that no human being will be justified by how they did or didn't keep the law, no matter what kind of excuse they come up with. They will not be justified before God. So the most righteous person you've ever known, the most righteous person you could think of, could never, ever stand before God on the basis of what they've done, ever. It's impossible. And according to Scripture, which it says over and over again, every person will be judged according to their works, the things that they've done. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12 puts it this way. Behold, I am coming quickly. These are the words of Jesus. And my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he's done. And this is a refrain that you hear in several places throughout Scripture. 
Here, this should be very bad news. A day of judgment is coming. And every single person will be judged according to what they've done. God's standard, God's standard of law keeping, God's standard of righteousness. This will be the judgment. And there's only one exception. There's one exception to this. And it's those who are recipients of God's grace. Now we have to understand this first part of this passage, verse 20. We have to really get it and understand how sinful we really are because this is the only way that you're going to understand grace. Because grace has nothing to do with law-keeping. Grace has to do with gift-giving and primarily gift-giving to those who don't deserve it. Here's how the text reads in Romans 3, 21 through 24. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. This is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And now he goes on to say this. He goes on to tell, say that there is no distinction. There's none. All. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified one way. Justified one way, it says, and are justified by His grace as a gift. A gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now that is really incredible. Because the law convicted you and it convicted me. It convicted everyone. It said this, guilty. You're all guilty. You're guilty. Shame is yours. Guilt is yours. And you know what the sentence is? The sentence is, is an eternity cut off from God and all of his goodness separated into the abyss of hell. That's what every single person has coming to them because of what they've done. But God, who is infinite, infinite in his grace, gave his only begotten son to suffer the judgment for us so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life and be given the righteousness of God. You see, it's not just that we're just pardoned. We're not just pardoned. We're not just forgiven. And here's the thing. This is where we have to distinguish the difference between grace and mercy. Because in mercy, you know what mercy is? Mercy's withholding what you deserve. Grace is bestowing what you don't deserve. Now think of it this way. If you were before a king, and that king found you guilty, and he pardoned you, he would show mercy. But now, if that king not didn't just pardon you, but poured, his, poured gifts upon you, he's shown grace. And that's the difference. Mercy's withholding, grace is bestowing. And the recipient of both of them doesn't deserve, doesn't deserve it. 
But grace is distinctly different in that it gives. And what does it give? It gives the righteousness of God. He, God says, I will make you just as righteous as me. Do you want to be, want my righteousness? You can never, ever, ever in your life do it or get it through all the works that you want to do. You'll never be righteous like me ever, no matter what you try ever. But I'll tell you something. I'm willing to give it to you free as a gift. I, I, I will, every, any single person on the planet earth who would come to me and believe on my son whom I gave for their sacrifice. I will make them as righteous as me just because they believed. I will bestow on them my righteousness. See, this is grace. Amazing grace. Especially to those who understand, who look at God's law, who look at their heart and they realize who they are and they know what they deserve. They realize that I deserve, I deserve justly punishment, eternal separation from God. I do not deserve to be in His presence. I do not deserve to live. I do not deserve any of it. None of it. But He's willing to not just pardon and forgive, but bestow on me His righteousness. Give me His Spirit. Bring me into His family. Just imagine the King. He's not not sending you away. He says, come here, I want to love on you. I want to love you. And I'm going to clothe you. And I'm going to put a ring and a crown on you. And I'm going to give you a life that's eternal. I'm going to give you, give you all that I have. All that I have is yours. What, are you kidding me? No. All you have to do is come to me and believe what I've done for you and my son. He says, this is it. This is this amazing grace. You know, if we're someone who believes in this, then you understand that the God of all grace is delighted in you. Do you realize this? The God of all grace smiles upon you. But Dean, you don't know what I've done or thought or said. I don't have to know. What I know I know for a fact is you are a sinner. What I know for a fact is that you're a violator of God's law. What I know for a fact is you're filled with weakness. What I know for a fact is that apart from God, you can do nothing. Zero. I know that if you have anything good in you, anything good comes out of you, that is the work of God in you. So don't ever think for a moment, oh, I'm too bad for God. I've done too much, too, too many things to ever turn to him. You don't know what I've said. You don't know what I thought. You didn't know what I did last night. It doesn't matter. The God of all grace is not only willing to forgive you, he's willing to draw in near to you, and he's willing to smile on you and bestow blessing and goodness and righteousness upon you. And I think it's vitally important that we all see ourselves rightly and we see God rightly. Because sometimes I think we see ourselves way too righteous and we, we see too God too crotchety and mean and, and distant and cold and kind of like looking at us like this, like examining our behavior. You, you nothing. I just want to smack you. 
And I think that's, it's a tragedy. One of the greatest things that will change our lives and how we actually live, we have to come alive to grace. We have to come alive to God's love and understand it because as we come alive to it and we know it and we embrace it, you know what comes out of that life when God fills you with His love and His grace? The love and the grace comes out. And your life changes and you act differently and now you're gracious and kind and loving, not because of what's in you in your heart, it's because of what God's done in you in your heart by the Spirit. What's naturally in me, and this is the other thing God will continually show us, God will constantly put us to the test and show you that even sometimes you're making great progress and you get a little, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I'm like, oh no, it's coming. God will so often let you fall, will so often let you feel and experience your weakness, let you feel and experience what you can do apart from Him. Nothing. God will, God will sometimes take you to the place where you go and you have some very dark days, and He does it for your good because He absolutely loves you. He wants you to see and know who you are, and He wants you to see and know who He is. And until you're there, and until He lifts you out of there, and you come to know yourself, and you come to know His grace, you're not even going to grow up. You're not going to grow up into grace. You're not going to get to know Him better and love Him more. So don't be thinking that, you know, I should be so much further along now. I should be so much more righteous now. Well, you're only going to be righteous relevant to the, to the degree that you know your sinfulness and you know God's graciousness. You will come alive with grace. You will come alive with love when you know and see and understand and live in God's love. When we ponder in our hearts and we contemplate the fact that the gracious God, this gracious God who gave His only begotten Son dwells in us, is with us, delights on us. Can you say this? Can you think of this for a moment? You know, when the Father spoke to Jesus at His baptism, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Can you hear those words from God and really mean it and believe it? So God looks at you and he says, Dean, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I love you. I delight in you and I smile upon you. Is that the God you know? Is that the God you imagine? Or do you see him somehow distant and far off, always judging and being critical? Who, how do you see him? We looked at last week about the joy of God, the supreme joy of God. And when we understand that, you know, our God is love, our God is joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and uh, self-controlled. Yeah. <laughs> when we, that's, that's the character and nature of our God. We have to see and know and understand who, how he sees us Because we're in his beloved son, Jesus. And we have to really, you know, the only thing special about us is that for some reason, apart from us, he chose us, brought us into his beloved son and poured out this grace we've looked at on us. 
You know, I think sometimes, and, I, and I'm, I've been guilty of this, and this is what I think we have to avoid. You can think about and ponder in your head these truths, theology. And if you don't, if they don't sink into your heart and if you don't believe them, they can remain in your head and you can, you can analyze justification. You can analyze sanctification. You can analyze the grace of God. You can study it and you can know it. And there is a way that you can study it and you can know it and you can wrestle with it and you can articulate it that actually all it does is make your head heavy and thick and your heart cold. I've experienced it. Not just cold, proud. Proud because you know. You can think about the things of God, the, even the grace of God, in such a way that it has no effect on your heart because you, you're reasoning and you're counter-arguing and you're just thinking in the logical part of your brain and it never sinks into your heart for you to delight in it. It's kind of like if you were out enjoying a beautiful sunset and you couldn't do anything but analyze the biological and the chemical and the molecular structure of how it happens and takes place. And you're just logically thinking about it, and it has done nothing for your heart. And then there's a person to your right, and they're going like this. Unbelievable. My God is awesome. Now, that's the proper response. That person's taking in and seeing what they see, and it's entering into their heart, and it's having the proper effect. It leads you to worship. This... Understanding grace leads you to be gracious. Understanding grace leads you to be loving. Understanding grace leads you to fall on your face before God and say, my God is awesome. And often what hinders us so often is the fact that it stays in our head and never gets to our heart because we're analyzing it and we need to be believing it. Believing in it. And sometimes you got to ask yourself the question, what is hindering me from believing it and resting in it and delighting in it and rejoicing in it and praising God for it? What is hindering me? Am I stuck in the logical part of my head and I never bring it down into my heart? What's hindering me? Perhaps I'm struggling, really embracing and believing this. You know, there's been times even in my life where the thing that's caused me to, to struggle is my pride. The knowledge of who I am and what I've done caused me to struggle to embrace the truth of who, how God views me and sees me in Christ Jesus. Pride. This is the point. You're to see who you are. You're to see how you've acted. You're to see how you've done. You're to see yourself against God's law and see that it doesn't say anything but sinner. And God says, I want you to see that you're a sinner. I want you to see from top to bottom you're a sinner. I want you to see that you're a filthy wretch. But in spite of that, I want you to see something. I am more than happy to draw you in, bring you in, and love on you, forgive you, pour, give you my righteousness, pour my spirit upon you, draw you into my family, give you life eternal, and just smile all over you. This is the biggest stumbling block for anybody to believe. You know, sometimes... It just seems too good to be true. And people, people stumble 
people stumble over because they what they want is they want to be able to go before God and say, aren't you proud of me? Didn't you see what I've done? How I kept your law? We, 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 want, to, we want to go in self-justified. But to go in dirty, to go in with nothing, to go in wretched, to go in and just bow your head and cover your face, and to go in and say, God, I have nothing. And to receive that grace is the most humbling thing for a soul to do. Believe it, embrace it, and then come alive with it and live it out in your life. You know, this morning, God's presented to you grace to sinful people. The grace that is in Christ Jesus to make you holy and righteous and just in His sight because of nothing you've done but because you believe. Just simply believe. And I challenge you this morning, I really want you to think deeply about this. What prevents me from rejoicing in this? What prevents me from delighting in this? What prevents me from praising God in this? Is it your pride? Is it your unbelief? What is it? It's presented to you and God says, come, come. Anyone, everyone, declare to the world, come. And anyone who will come to me and anyone who will believe, they are the ones who receive. Anyone. And I don't care who you are and I don't care what you've done, come. And anyone who actually does, receives life and life overflowing. The love of God will flood into your heart and come out of your life. I pray that we would know and understand in the depths of our hearts the supreme grace of God because it's transformative. May God have mercy. Amen. Father, we're very thankful and not even near as thankful as we ought to be. Oh, help us all. Help us all, O Lord God, to see ourselves before you, before your law, and help us to see us in Jesus Christ, beloved, delighted in, being flooded by your grace. Oh Lord, we praise you. We give you thanks for you. You so loved us that you gave your only begotten Son to save, to rescue, to cleanse, to make holy and righteous, and to bring into your presence. Blessed be your name forever, O Lord. Amen.